Hey guys. Happy Friday. Another week of success behind us. How do we do it? Nobody knows. My name is John, and you're very welcome to the Tech Leader Pro podcast. It is week 17, Friday the 28th of April, 2023. This week I want to talk about many topics, um, and I'm going to kick off by talking about something that has just been filling my feed on Twitter this week and uh, kind of drive me nuts, to be honest, is um, the amount of doom that seems to be out there in the, the tech community. I typically follow people on Twitter who post about tech, uh, which is probably not a big surprise. And what I'm seeing is um, a lot of weird doom-mongering about you know, te- technology like AI, for example, and how it's going to evolve into um, some kind of a, a extinction event that's going to basically uh, eclipse human intelligence, and we're all going to be replaced by by AI and our loser jobs. And I just find this, as someone who's worked in the AI field, and my background is in computer science, and just find this absolutely hilarious. And it feels to me like a a form of neo-Luddism. In my mind, these people are Luddites. Um, it's a very strange thing to be coming from technologists, however. And some of it, I think, is motivated uh, for political reasons. Uh, so, you know, people who are activists and, and this and that. Some of it is motivated by perhaps some jealousy of the success of companies like OpenAI. Um, who have actually made some really amazing breakthroughs and deserve credit for that. But what's surprising me is that in general I see in society a distrust for technology uh, is starting to take hold, especially with a lot of young people. And it's really weird for me when you see people using services like Twitter, which is itself obviously a reflection of the amazing technology that we've developed over the last uh, few decades uh, that's given people a voice to express their opinions and you know have a, an audience and have reach and have influence but then using that reach and audience to uh, attack the very technology that is enabling them um, it seems <laughs> it seems very ironic to me um, and I just I don't really understand it, to be frank. Uh, for those of you that don't know where the term Luddite came from, I'm not going to give the exact history, but essentially uh, it was some some farm workers who were doing manual labor uh, for many generations. And then the, the farm owner, who was a man named Luddite, I believe, he brought in some equipment to automate some of the, the work. So he brought in, you know, plows and so forth and the farm workers were so concerned with their 
livelihood being affected by this that they um they broke into the warehouse uh, where the equipment was stored overnight and they attacked it and they 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 broke it up and hence the the term luddite was uh, created in the english language and it's a very strange phenomenon it's like most things motivated by fear it doesn't make sense all of those farmhands all of those manual laborers that we had in the 1800s um obviously those jobs don't exist anymore in large numbers but yet we have record employment levels so clearly uh, that new technology didn't mean the end of work it just meant that society shifted to different roles and different jobs and people figured out uh, how to pivot to more profitable activities uh, you know they went and worked in factories they went and worked in services so just because a new technology comes along like ai um and some jobs are inevitably impacted it doesn't mean that that's the end of society and that's the end of the economy it's it's such a bizarre uh, overreaction but what's disappointing me the most is You'd, you'd kind of expect that overreaction to happen in the, the popular media um, because that's their business model. They, you know, they, they, sell, they sell clicks and they sell papers based on outrage. But when I start to see well-known, respected AI researchers uh, coming out with the same stuff, uh, I find that deeply disappointing because they know they actually know the facts. They know what they're talking about. They're smart people. But yet they're presenting apparent misinformation. So they can only be doing that because they have some kind of an agenda. Um, I, don't, I don't understand otherwise why they would be doing that. It's certainly not coming from a, a position of ignorance um, because they're experts. Instead, what they're doing is motivated by something else. And I saw the same behavior also being applied towards cryptography, uh, cryptocurrency, blockchain, Web3. Um, people built whole careers on this stuff. Online careers, online influencers were formed around criticizing technology um, in the last few years. And the same people who were, you know, attacking crypto are now attacking AI. And it's just a career choice that they basically know that if they're relentlessly ne negative and attacking something, they can, they can build a following of, of like-minded people. And they can just pump out the same stuff over and over every day, attacking that thing, and get reinforced in that behavior by increasing influence, increasing follower count, likes, retweets, etc. And fundamentally, I mean, I have my problems with crypto as well. And obviously there's been a lot of scams and nobody at this stage in their right mind would, would deny that. But fundamentally for me, the position I take with technology is simple. We need to separate the technology from the implementations. Cryptography, for example, is, is a, obviously a, an extremely useful technology for, for data privacy. Um, it has, you know, profound benefits in terms of uh, protecting people online. 
the blockchain and cryptocurrency um, also is a very, very interesting uh, technology. The distributed ledger has many, many, many applications. It's actually a really, really cool technology. And there's a lot of benefits in that as well. Cryptocurrency uh, hasn't been for me um, as successful as I would have hoped. Um, I, I argued before in a blog post that it's, it's not actually a currency. Um, really, for me, it's more like a, an asset class. It's something that you invest in and that you hope that will increase in value over time. Um, but calling it a currency is a, is a bit of a stretch. But I think the concept of having a currency that is not controlled by a central bank um, is actually a pretty interesting concept. And I think there are benefits in that. And it's, it's nuanced. It's not black and white. And I think that's the problem I have with people attacking these topics is that they take a very uh, black and white approach to it. They're, they're kind of like zealots, you know, it's something is fundamentally right or something is fundamentally wrong. And in this instance, for them, this is something that's fundamentally wrong. Well, in my mind, that's not how the world works. It really is shades of gray. And you can have really nice technology. Uh, you can have, you know, for example, um, nuclear power, or you can have a nuclear bomb. Okay, it, it depends on how you apply that technology. The technology itself is not inherently bad. It's the people that are coming up with the use cases where, you know, they're trying to scam or they're trying to make a quick book. That's the people that's to blame. It's not the technology. But people need to separate those two things apart. But of course they don't, because making a nuanced argument online doesn't get the reaction that you want. It doesn't get the clicks, doesn't get the likes, doesn't get the retweets. So unfortunately, we're in this situation where every argument is very polarized and every argument is you're either with us or against us. And unfortunately, um, that's where we're at today with many, many topics. And uh, it's sad to see AI uh, falling into that. AI has been with us for decades. It's been around for absolute decades as a concept. And it's only in recent years that we're making real progress. But let's be honest, we're still at the very, very, very beginning. We are decades away, in my opinion, from artificial general intelligence. Decades away. What we have today is, is, is progress. It's very interesting. Technologies like ChatGPT, for example, very, very interesting. But, you know, people thinking that that's a human level intelligence are completely and utterly mistaken. And we are decades away from that. For me right now, uh, as a computer scientist, uh, actually the topic I'm more interested in is, is quantum computing. And I think that it's getting a little bit overshadowed by all of the, the hype around AI right now. And I've always felt that what was holding back AI was hardware and our existing classical computer models uh, not really being able to scale. I think the thing that will really make us get to a point where we may be creating general intelligence is the overlap between quantum computing and AI. Uh, that is a long, long way away. 
Um, but I genuinely believe that in order for us to have human-like intelligence, uh, our current classical computer model, model it, it won't support it. So we need to change our computing model um, at a hardware level to support the, uh, the, paraly the parallelization that is required to have general intelligence. It's uh, the way the, the human brain works. It's not like a classical computer. Um, the fundamental model is, um, is different. And uh, I think what we're doing at the moment is, is limited by the computing model. Um, it's more like a, a hardware or a conceptual uh, limitation that we're, we're bumping up against. And it's not going to be solved by, by Moore's law. It's not going to be more RAM and, and, and more you know, CPU uh, clock cycles that's going to solve uh, artificial general intelligence. It's going to take a, a complete shift, a paradigm shift. And in my mind, the only thing that's on the horizon uh, is, is quantum computing. And we're, we're really, really at the beginning of that as well. The way I think about quantum computing at the moment is um, when you look at the devices and the, the size of them and even the appearance of them, uh, they're quite beautiful to look at. But it's almost like we're at the, uh, the vacuum tube um, stage of their development. If you look back at uh, classical computers uh, from the past, um, where they had vacuum tubes, they didn't have you know the, the circuitry that we have today. That's kind of where we're at right now with quantum computing. We're at the very beginning. We're decades away from having uh, commercial applications, and we're decades away from having a, a quantum PC sitting on your desktop. Um, but I think that's actually the most exciting thing happening right now in the field is quantum computing, and it's worth keeping an eye on. But going back to the uh, Twitter and social media, media in general, um, I think that any leader running a social media website uh, right now can't make everyone happy. It's just impossible. All of the users of those websites have a, a different definition of what success looks like and what the um, the best feature set it looks like and what the best audience and community looks like. So if you're Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, you're getting pushed and pulled in different directions. And you can look, for example, at what's happened with the, the Metaverse um, initiative at, at Facebook or at Meta, I should say. It's becoming obvious that it's been a, a bit of a failure. And um, if you look at what Elon Musk is doing at Twitter, some would argue uh, that set up the fail as well. And then we have um, TikTok, of course, uh, coming under the glare of US regulators. And uh, TikTok has been a tremendous success, uh, commercially, of course. But um, it's potentially going to get pulled apart by the regulators. And uh, who knows what's going to happen there. But I don't think it's going to be a positive outcome for, for TikTok. And I genuinely think the social media market right now is is a pretty miserable market. Um, I really don't know why anybody would actually want to get into that market in the first place. You're not going to be able to keep people happy. Everybody's going to be attacking you. Um, I think the margins are probably uh, pretty crappy at this stage anyway. Um, so I really don't understand why, for example, Elon Musk uh, bought Twitter. Um, I mean, the guys running... SpaceX, um, Tesla, some of the most innovative technology companies 
uh, that we've ever seen. SpaceX, in my mind, is absolutely amazing, for example. Uh, Tesla has shifted the entire industry towards EVs. Um, again, amazing success. And if I was in his shoes, I'd be focusing all my efforts there. I wouldn't be distracting myself and wasting my time with, with Twitter. Who cares about Twitter? It's just a, a platform for people to attack each other. Um, it's a polarization platform. And I just think that, you know, if, if I was in his shoes, um, the last thing I'd be doing is, is buying Twitter and, and trying to turn it around. I think uh, nobody has made Twitter a financial success. And um, frankly speaking, eventually it will fail. So I got thinking heavily during the week about what's going wrong at Twitter. And uh, I wrote a, a blog entry about this um, called Twitter, Twitter Gamification is Broken. Gamification is a very interesting topic. It's um, applying uh, gaming mechanics to non-gaming domains. So if you think about a game, if you're playing a game, uh, you have certain rewards that you need to uh, receive. So you have to you have to grind out some results. You have to you know uh, increase your points. You have to uh, gain some additional levels, gain some additional skills. And then uh, online gaming has reputational systems as well, where, you know, there's leaderboards and so on. And you can get kudos or, or credibility in a community by being a good player, by um, getting recognition from your peers as being a, a great player of the game. And it becomes a very kind of virtuous feedback cycle where the harder you work on the game, the more uh, credibility you get from the community. And that becomes quite enjoyable and quite addictive as a result. And those triggers, those, uh, you know, impulses um, in people, um, the social media designers have been uh, trying to push the same buttons for years. So trying to turn a social media site into a game. Uh, so what is success? Well, on Twitter, for example, it's getting more followers, it's getting more likes and retweets. And, um, you know, getting more influence as a result. And that is all feedback signals to you as a user that what you're doing is being recognized as being credit worthy and, and uh, worthwhile. And, you know, you're adding good content and you're getting good feedback. And again, it becomes that kind of happy feedback loop that the more I do this, the better I feel. And that's what a successful outcome would look like in terms of game mechanics. Um, but I think, unfortunately, what Twitter is doing at the moment is kind of working against that with the removal of the the, uh, the blue check marks from large, very large, uh, famous people's accounts. It's almost like they're stripping credibility. They're taking it away, which seems to be exactly the opposite of what they should be doing. And the other thing about those big accounts is those big accounts act like a, a sub-network within that social network. Um, so everybody who's following that account that, you know, that Hollywood actress or that famous singer who's just, you know, lost her tick mark and is complaining about it, they're influencing that subnet. Uh, the people are following them for a reason because they like that person. So, um, so that's, that negative influence has been amplified uh, into that subnet. And sometimes then what happens is that person uh, who gets frustrated with the, the platform, they leave potentially, or they just uh, post less frequently, 
because they're not getting that positive feedback anymore. Uh, they're frustrated um, or they um, they stop engaging with their own followers. So they, they stop answering uh, questions. They stop replying on threads. Increasingly, I'm seeing a lot of them now, for example, uh, restricting who can comment on their threads. So they're going into a kind of a, a lockdown. Uh, some of them have gone private. Some of them have left altogether. They've simply just closed their accounts and they've gone to different platforms. So that's bad news for Twitter. Each of those uh, big accounts that falls over, it impacts all of their followers. And if social media uh, platforms aren't careful, they can get into a kind of a death spiral where rather than rewarding people for posting, uh, people get no reward for posting. Uh, then they grow frustrated and then they stop posting. And, you know, the, the, the wealth of a, of a social media website, the, the actual value in it is, is not the, it's not the publishing platform, but it's the content. And the content comes from the users. Uh, the industry uses this term, uh, user-generated content, or, or UGC for short, uh, to reflect this, that Twitter, for example, it's not just running off Elon's tweets, although yeah, <laughs> you might think so these days with the volume he's putting out, but it's really not. It's running off the, the tweets of um, everyone. And that's the... The, the, the market cap, if you will, for, for a social media website is uh, what is the volume of content that is being put there every day? And if that, that volume, that fire hose of data starts to slow down for any reason, that obviously has a negative uh, ripple impacts on, on the uh, platform. And um, you start to see a decline uh, gradually. Um, and then suddenly you can start to accelerate and become a bit of a cliff edge. So Twitter need to be very, very careful with what they're doing in terms of the tweaks that they're making to the algorithm. Um, and I don't think they're being careful at all. I think they're being quite reckless, actually. It's almost like a, uh, you know, A-B a testing uh, in production, but they're applying, applying it to everyone. <laughs> They're not just testing it. Uh, I know Twitter in the past, for example, they used to test stuff in at a regional level. So maybe they'd roll out a feature just in New Zealand, for example, and they'd see how does that go, and if if the feedback is positive, then you know let's roll it out in in other in other regions. But they're not really doing that anymore, from what I can see. They're just rolling stuff out globally, and just seeing what happens. And it's a very, very delicate balance with, with social media. Uh, if you get it wrong, it can go dramatically bad. And it can go dramatically bad very, very quickly. Um, the only thing that's holding people on Twitter right now is network effects. It's the fact that they've already invested years into the platform. They've already built up followers and communities and friendships and so on. So that's kind of hard to walk away from. Even when people are frustrated, it's kind of hard to walk away from that. But what they can do is they can slow down. They can just go into a kind of a protest mode where they say, okay, I'm going to keep on using this platform, but I'm going to be using it at 10% of the energy that I was putting into it before. I'm going to slow down. And if you imagine if you multiply that across large sections of the community, 
as a platform owner, you've got a really big problem. So, okay, so what else am I doing this week? Um, apart from dwelling on AI and, and Twitter and gamification. Uh, I'm still working on my, my search engine. Um, I'm pretty happy now with the, the progress that's, uh, that's happening there now uh, with building that index. Uh, I'm up to 450,000 web pages in my, my local index. I may, when I get to 500,000, I may put up a very, very soft beta version of that website. Uh, to get some feedback from you guys and see what you think. I'm not sure whether I'm going to do it at the half a million mark or wait until I get to a million web pages. But it's been a fascinating, uh, f- fascinating exercise working with Apache Nudge and tweaking that and trying to get the, the best quality uh, into that index that I can. Um, so I'm pretty happy with uh, the quality of, of the data that's in the search index now. Um, for me now, it's more about volume and, and bringing up that headline number to a, a meaningful enough uh, size that it's actually, you know, something that's usable by people. For this thing to be real, to be a real uh, contender, it would have to run into billions of web pages, obviously. Um, but, you know, maybe maybe half a million or a million is, is not such a bad place to start just for a soft beta launch and see if I can get some feedback on on the actual website itself. So that's going very well. Um, other things that uh, I'm doing this week, I started to read uh, Dune Messiah again by, by Frank Herbert. That's the second part of the famous Dune book. Um, there's a really weird thing with the Dune books. A lot, of, a lot of people just read the first book and they don't continue, but there was actually six books written by Frank Herbert. I've read them all. So this is my second read-through of, of Dune Messiah. And it is so important <laughs> to, to read the second and third book at least uh, because what is set up in the first book uh, is pretty much torn down in the second book. Um, and I think if people just stop at the first book, they miss the point that Frank was trying to make about charismatic leaders. Paul Atreides in, in the story, uh, some people have mistakenly seen him as being this kind of uh, the, 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 the Messiah who's going to come and save us all and, and bring us all to, um, to, a, to a happy place. And uh, this kind of, you know, infallible hero. And um, actually what Frank was writing in the books was a warning about people like that and a warning about what can happen when you follow them that a charismatic leader is actually very dangerous. And all of that plays out from Dune Messiah onwards. So if you've read the first book, I'd, I'd strongly recommend continuing with the series. It's really fascinating. The copy I'm reading at the moment is a, a beautiful um, limited edition from Centipede Press. Uh, sadly, no longer available. Um, very difficult to, um, to find even on, on eBay. And uh, the secondary prices are a bit crazy. Um, but I would say check out Centipede Press in, in general if you're interested in science fiction. They do some really beautiful illustrated uh, limited editions and um, they're small publisher that are worth supporting. Apart from that, I'm also watching uh, a show called The Diplomat on Netflix. Uh, I would recommend that if you're interested in, in, in politics and all the shenanigans that, that goes with that. It's a, 
very well acted, really nice cast, uh, very well written. Um, been really impressed with it so far. Uh, I've nearly finished it, and um, yeah, I'd recommend it. It's uh, it's pretty good. And then finally, going into the weekend, um, I will increase my efforts on building out that search engine and um, see if I get to a point where I can launch it. I would really rec- I really uh, love your feedback on that because uh, for me, it's it's very important that we we think about not just consuming services, but also building our own. Uh, for me, the, the whole promise of um, the original incarnation of, of Web3 uh, from Tim Berners-Lee, um, the semantic web, was to have lots of small services, uh, microservices, um, talking to each other in interoperable ways using uh, web standards. Um, and that dream has died a little bit. Uh, instead, we have these very deep corporate silos, these these world, walled gardens, uh, the, the platform landlords uh, the, that are running Twitter and Facebook and Apple and all of these uh, very deep, deep, deep silos that we find ourselves stuck in. Um, and unfortunately, uh, it's the opposite of what uh, Tim Berners-Lee had in mind. Um, so I want to go back to that a little bit in my, in my own small way. Uh, you know, I, I run my own blog. I, I host it myself. I, I host my own email. Um, I... I now hopefully will start hosting my own uh, search engine as well. And I'd encourage other engineers listening to this to do the same. You know, build your own infrastructure. Don't depend on other people to provide you with uh, critical services like email and, and, and blogging and, and arguably search as well. You know, think about building your own infrastructure. Think about self-hosting your own stuff. And let's see if we can get back to a, a more... Uh, genuine distributed web okay so i'll leave it there um i hope you guys had a had a great week and uh enjoy the long weekend for those of you who are getting next monday off uh and for everybody else uh, have a great weekend and i'll catch you again next week take care bye bye